is Kristen Rodriguez, Director of Special Projects at the Cornellage Foundation. In our first episode of Building Knowledge, we are chatting with Dr. E. D. Hirsch, Jr. We discuss his latest book, American Ethnicity, and the importance of knowledge building in education. Okay, I want to welcome everyone today to our podcast. We have a very special guest. I'm super excited to introduce you all to Dr. Edie Hirsch, who is our founder of the Cornellage Foundation. Dr. Hirsch, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I'm sure that our listeners really want to learn more about what you have to say about the current climate here um, in the United States with education, but also learn more about how you came up with this idea of the Cornellage Foundation. Um, so really the basis I know, because I work for the foundation of, of uh, your idea with the foundation is this shared base of knowledge. And I think now more than ever, that's really important. And you talk about this in your previous book, and I know you're writing about it in your current book. So could you share some of those ideas about why this base of knowledge is so important in today's schools? Well, it turns out that it goes much deeper than today's world. It's particularly important in human uh, organizations, basically from the beginning, in the going way back, way uh, since the beginning of mankind, that uh, what what has developed in the use of human language is the most efficient and effective way to communicate and to hold a group together is on the basis of shorter utterances, because often there's an emergency when uh, one person has to communicate with another. And you need to be able to do it rapidly. If you think particularly when in tribal combat and that kind of thing, how important it is to be able to quickly obey a command, for example. And I start out this new book, and I think it's an awfully good example. There was a, a child uh, language researcher who very carefully did the following. He put a uh, tape recorder in his pocket, in his jacket pocket, and this was in Boston. And he went to Harvard Square, and, and he had a Boston Globe under his, the newspaper in, in Boston under his arm, and he made, it, made himself look like a native. And he would say to people coming by, how do you get to Central Square? And looking at him and passing by as they walked, they would say, well, it's the first stop on the subway. Next day, he comes dressed as a tourist. And he says, to the passers-by. I'm from out of town. Can you tell me how to get to Central Square? And they said, well, you see the subway entrance over there. You go down there and you buy a token and you put it in the Quincy side. You're going towards Quincy. 
But be careful. It's the first stop on the subway, and you know you're there because when you get there, it says Central Square <laughs> right on the <laughs> side. And so there's this elaborate conversation to the stranger. But look, it took 50 words. Whereas uh, if you know, if you communicate well, it only took eight words to uh, to tell the, the native. And that's because the you both assume that you have the background knowledge to communicate with the other person effectively. So those two statements are actually quite synonymous. You just say first stop on the subway, but that includes going to the entrance over there and doing all of those things that you have to do. But you have to have that background knowledge in order to understand. And the, uh, and our the distinguished uh, psychologist uh, Daniel Willingham uh, had a, an aphorism about that. He said. Uh, a reading test is a knowledge test in disguise. And that idea is that it's, it, it's saying what that experiment in Boston is saying, that a reading test is testing whether you know all of that unspoken information that language requires. And so my new book, is it goes, I think, a little deeper than some of the earlier ones because it uses the term ethnicity, because that's what an ethnicity is. It's the tribal lore, or what I call the communicative store, that people in the same tribe uh, have, but, but isn't it's silent, it's silently shared. And without that silently shared information, you can't read a book properly. A reading test is a knowledge test in disguise because it's silent. It's not, it's not explicitly stated in the words. And that's a hugely important insight. I happened to get it many decades ago because of other work that I was doing. And that's what started all this off. And that was a technical point. In this, in this new book, uh, there's a further point, and we may want to get into that, and that is why are our reading scores going down since around 1950? The, the, the best students in, in our high schools are not reading as well as they used to read. Uh, the SAT uh, has uh, produced evidence <laughs> that we've gone down it's a straight ski slope down, uh, and uh, it's troubling. And so instead of things getting better, they, they're tending to get worse technically uh, in the reading ability of our, of our best students. And not to mention what bothers me tremendously, because this was one of the motivations in, in starting the foundation, well, these gaps between the haves and have-nots, and particularly between black students and white students in their teens, uh, there's a huge gap. Uh, there's a 30% gap, in fact, uh, if you consider it this way, that's, that uh, uh, 30% uh, of uh, black students uh, perform uh, under the white student uh, average in reading, 
And uh, that's an unacceptable situation. So those were some of the reasons. I, I don't want to uh, get ahead of where you want to go with this, but I thought it, it would be good to, to, to introduce why I started the foundation. It was because of that technical insight about the unspoken in language. Uh, and one of the primary functions of, of a tribal school or the tribal elders in, in a tribe is to teach that communicative store, to teach that uh, unspoken knowledge that enables people to communicate. I know I, in, in your previous book, and I've seen um, a preview of your new book, you um, did extensive interviews with two teachers, Kathy Kenter um, and Michelle Hodak. And in, in talking with them and in information that you shared in your last book, you talk about how the United States has moved from this idea of a common school to this child-centered approach. And both of these teachers have worked in both kinds of schools, um, the tr more traditional, what we would call traditional public schooling. And then they both moved to core knowledge schools and they shared um, some of their insight. But what do you think some of the lasting ramifications in our system um, have been because traditional public schools have moved to this more child-centered approach right. versus keeping that common that, school like that's, that? That's the second uh, uh, important technical insight. The shared knowledge idea was a fundamental one. But the second one was what I, in this new book, in any case, called developmentalism. Uh, that is, you have to encourage the child to develop uh, according to what is natural for that child. Uh, I've, uh, uh, let's see, how sh what is the best way to approach well, one way of, of uh, quite a technical way was just the teaching of uh, the letter sound correspondences in learning how to read. Um, what happened around the 1940s uh, and uh, thereabouts, because we have a video uh, that was made in the march of what used to be called the March of Time, a, a, a movie short of uh, which had William Hurd Kilpatrick and John Dewey uh, presenting their ideas. And the March of Time people were saying, these are the ideas that have taken over the American school. And of course, that was pretty accurate because those ideas were based on the notion that learning should be both two things. It should be natural and it should be individual because each child has its own individual developmental blueprint, so to speak. And now, as a footnote to that, let's quickly move forward to say uh, around five years ago or so in brain studies when we have now found out, well, no, the child doesn't have a blueprint. And in fact, John Locke was right. 
that the human mind is basically a blank slate. And uh, that, in fact, uh, there's a whole system of uh, research uh, that goes under the rubric cortical plasticity. Well, cortical refers to the human cortex, and the human cortex is that big part of the brain that makes birth so difficult in, uh, in humans because you need that big head to hold that big brain, and that big brain is chiefly this organ called the neocortex, and that's where language resides. It's where all human superiority uh, <laughs> in mastering other species it, it resides. And it turns out that what used to be <laughs> comically rejected to think that the human child is a piece of clay uh, has actually <laughs> shown now to be correct <laughs> that as far as schooling goes and and socialization and learning and so on, the human child is a piece of clay. And then this whole plasticity is what, what a piece of clay is. You can form it into any shape. But it turns out that uh, the mind is plastic and there is no built-in blueprint. Uh, at least at the social level, there's plenty of, of blueprints in in the lower in the lower part of our cognitive system. But but where schooling is concerned, and where socialization and language and interaction with other people and forming a, a tribal unity, so to speak, where that's concerned, the human mind is a blank slate. And, and this is a tremendous insight because the whole of American education uh, since the 40s and in the modern era is based on the idea you have to develop the individual blueprint of the child. And, and so we're talking something pretty radical here, uh, the second aspect of what core knowledge is about. This, this shared knowledge is a technical point, but it also turns out to be a hugely important sociological uh, point. And, and it has a lot to do with our current uh, polarizations uh, and enmities and difficulties that our schools haven't uh, turned everybody into the same tribe, as so to speak, to feel a, a sense of obligation uh, to one another. Uh, it's, uh, we're in, polarization means you, uh, you identify more with your political party than you do with your identity as an American. And that um, is hugely problematic. It's a side effect of, uh, of this uh, blueprint theory, uh, which I call developmentalism, uh, that, uh, that uh, if you, if you uh, are not going to school everybody into being an American, it's quite natural to get schooled into whatever various groups or leaders uh, tell you you are a member of. And, uh, and we're experiencing that on a big scale now in this country. So I do think there's a relationship between our political and social uh, enmities 
and uh, the lack of commonality in, in our schooling, because the main, actually, from an evolutionary standpoint, the main function of the human school is to form a, a, an effective and loyal uh, tribal member. And that was really very well understood by the founders. Uh, there's a uh, there's a passage that's particularly striking in uh, in Madison's uh, Federalist uh, contributions to the Federalist Papers, where James Madison, who's of course the author of chief author of the Constitution, uh, says that a democracy demands a kind of selflessness that no other political system requires because you have to feel that you as a as a governor partial governor of your own tribe are have a commitment to that tribe and uh, he uses the word human depravity to mean our selfish impulses and those Selfish impulses are such that education, you need to be educated into this kind of loyalty and communal uh, commitment to the, to the nation as a whole uh, for democracy to work. I, th I think it's a very telling uh, passage in those Federalist Papers. The Federalist Papers, as, as, as you may know, are, are those... Uh, uh, papers that went out uh, to uh, all, the whole country, to the to the uh, states, telling them, yes, get with it, uh, join the uh, Constitution, join the country, ratify the Constitution, and uh, you you need to understand the virtues of the Constitution and how it's. Created and those papers, the the two great intellectuals of the of our early history, who were Hamilton and and Madison, uh, pressed uh, acceptance of the Constitution, but, but with the caveat, you had to overcome uh, these built-in uh, selfish characteristics. Well, of course, one of the problems with uh, Deweyism and progressive education and developmentalism is that it stresses the individual rather rather than the community, and it assumes that it will all work out. In our next podcast, we will continue our interview with Dr. Hirsch and discuss why changing the way teachers are actually educated will make a lasting change to the American education system.